Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Net Jabbar. This is going to be episode 205 of The Informed Catholic, episode 205. Now, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast. This would help the podcast get distributed and it would let all podcast platforms know that you like it. And uh, it would also let Anchor and Spotify, especially them, because I produce my podcast through them. Now uh, that we got that through, let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, guardian of the church, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat> All right. So welcome back to another episode. And um, well, I have an article here from Crisis Magazine. Um, it's from December 2nd, 2020, and it's called The Suicide of a Civilization. And the author, I recognize, his name is Anthony uh, Esselin. Esselin. Um, it's interesting article because it's, it's basically talking about what we went through this last year, what we've seen, um, you know, from the... Uh, the whole pandemic, uh, Wuhan virus, COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, uh, to uh, the riots and the destruction of, of, uh, of buildings and looting and Antifa and Black Lives Matter protests, the, the defund of the police. And now we're going through this horrible um uh, election, election from hell, and hopefully Trump pulls us through because uh, I, I, I'm terrified of a Biden Harris administration and what the Democrats might do. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've never been big on conspiracy theories, but I think I am now. <laughs> um, I mean, the whole reset thing. This, this, um, Carl Schwab, the supervillain out of uh, James Bond film or something like the, you know, it's like the G.I. Joe Cobra organization, whatever the heck it is. I mean, it's really ridiculous, but it's obvious there are people with nefarious um, ideas, uh, what they want. There's obsession with the economy, control, uh, recreating the economy, what they want to do, whatever it is they want to do. And a lot of people, um, you know, but I think it's also, it's something else. And I think this article is going to show it here. Um, Anthony uh, Esselin is, um, 
and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing the last names. I'm horrible with last names, but he he uh, translated a, uh, the um, the works. I believe it's him of um, Dante Allegori. Uh, you know, the Divine Comedy. Uh, he's definitely uh, he's a, he's into. Uh, theology, philosophy. He's a Thomist, a Thomistic scholar, meaning Thomas Aquinas, um, and he's definitely familiar with uh, church teaching. I I know I have his lectures on um, Audible about Dante Allegory, and uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, especially with all that was going on. But let's begin with the article. All right, it's called the Crisis. I mean, the suicide of a civilization. It was printed in Crisis Magazine, December 2nd, 2020. Let's begin. Suppose an anthropologist were asked, to up, were, were asked, apart from the sound and fury of current politics, what were the signs of a dying culture or a culture committing suicide? Okay, that's an interesting way of starting it. What might he respond as following from human nature and from the terms of the question itself, what might he notice in our own? Such a culture would be more preoccupied with death than with life. And this preoccupation might be, might be manifested in a variety of ways. It would promote a right to die on your own terms, but no right to live. Rather, only a permission to live, provided that you possess certain qualities that people acknowledge as useful or as ushering, ushering, uh, ushering you into the fold. And what these qualities are and how they shall be recognized will shift with political uh, exigencies and sentiments. I hope I pronounced that word right. Life is no gift, but a mere thing to be disposed of at will, like garbage. Nothing is sacred, not the body, not the soul, no place, no object, no name, no human persons, no history, no songs, no God. Well, that that's pretty much sums it all there, right? Yet, this will to die is neither brave nor generous. The bold young man who stands his ground in the field of battle is willing to die, not because he is weary of, of his life, but because he is so full of life and so moved by fellow uh, feeling for his brothers in arms that he can lay his life on the line. Soldiers who want to die have already lost. When an old or sick person says, no more, he gives his negative, as Chesterton said, to the whole universe. Mostly he runs toward death because he's afraid of suffering, which in a dying culture has lost its significance. Nothing is sacred. Such a person shudders before the great impersonal hospital ma machines in which men are consigned to die. So he runs from the machine and leaps leaps into the abyss, into nothingness. All right. I think we could all agree with that. The people in a dying culture, if they do not take their own lives, see no great beauty in human life, not even in what the blind poet Milton said he missed most of all, 
the human face divine. A recent article identified as the photograph of the past century, a picture of a small baby boy in a utero at a mere 18 weeks. But the author hastened to assure her readers that it would be quite wrong to use that photograph as an argument against women's reproductive rights. Euphemisms, callous or sentimentality, and abstractions greet the eye at the gates of death. Huh. Artipit, uh, Artuban Michad Frey. I don't know what that means. I don't think that's Latin. That the photograph showed a being of surpassing and mysterious beauty, a gift, an object of wonder. Even a being made in the image of God, the author could not imagine or would never confess. Nothing is sacred. Such people, we might expect, will forget the soul and be obsessed with the body, but not the body as possessing an inherent, an inherent meaning. They will work the body, punch the body up, pierce the body, plasticize the body, scrawl graffiti over the body, and in general reduce the body to a tool for hedonism or for some poor attempt at self-expression in a world in which there is nothing of great importance to express. Nothing is sacred. Their art will not dwell lovingly upon the human face or upon the natural grace and expressiveness of human past, uh, po uh, pastors. It will be flesh for flesh's sake and the face for flesh's sake. They will speak of the body as a machine and talk gleebly about its performance. In sexual matters, too, there will be no wonder, no sense of what sexes are, no gratitude of men for women and women for men. The ingratitude, impatience, and unwillingness to suffer, the shortcomings of the opposite sex will, will be manifest in willed sterility, assuming three forms. First, a hatred or fear of one's own fertility, leading to voluntary sterilization. For the sterile is anthropolog anthropologically next door to the dead. Second, a refusal to marry or complete lack of interest in marriage, whether the ordinary marriage of man and woman or the spiritual marriage one enters as a religious the wedding feast to which Jesus compares the kingdom of God has no appeal. Nothing is sacred. Third, an embrace of mock of marriage by means of mock intercourse, the deliberate and sacrilegious perversions of your sexual powers, such as sowing the seed of life into a sewer, the place of waste and decay. They who would crush, dismember, or fry in salt that astonishingly beautiful child in the womb, surely will not scrubble to invade the heaven of a child's blessed innocence. During the time when his sexual desires are dormant or latent, they, uh, that long time that boys and girls need to learn who they are and what they are, 
destined to grow up to be confident husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, Jesus has hard words to say about those who would offend against the little ones. But since nothing is sacred, the people of a dying culture will eager to have children join them in corruption and meaningless hedonism, fastened as always with euphemisms like lipstick and false hair on a skull, a horrid drag queen instructing little boys on how to tuck their testicles into their bodies and bind them there, death boasting of death. Wow, he's going for the juggler here. The people of a dying culture produce almost no art worthy of the name. Boredom sits heavy upon the soul. Nothing is sacred. The romantic poets of the 19th century often uh, reducedly uh, Christian at best believe that the impulse for great art and music and poetry must be divine. What inspires? They who lose the divine lose the human also. It, it is, as Jesus says, that, that to them who seek the kingdom of God, all the good things of the earth will be given also. The converse is true from those who have little, from those who seek only the things of earth, even that, that little which they have shall be taken from them. The art of the dying culture not only loses its excellence, whole kinds of art disappear. No one cares for them anymore. No one cares to learn with great patience and many failures or to appreciate which requires patience also or to preserve many of the skills, the true craftsmen required often skill which no, with, with no name, known as the hand or the eye or the ear or are forgotten. Artists and architects turn to the hideous, the brutal and the inhuman. The people of a dying culture not only smother their future in the womb, they murder their ancestors too. They look with envy upon the great men of their past, men who, like all men, were imperfect, but who built and build not just for themselves, but for their posterity. They sneer at those great men and enjoy debunking their legends. Nothing is sacred. Down come the statues in the public squares because down they, ha they have already come in, in the hearts of men. Nor is it the particular man here or there who must be trod into the dust. The whole past of the people must do the same. Perhaps even the whole past of mankind, not received as a gift, but shrugged off as a burden. Utopian schemes abound, even while the decadent art of the ages see, uh, sees but vast networks of human misery to come. For utopian towers are cemented with hatred for what for what is let me stop right here i think we see where where this is going and i think we can all agree we can all agree i think that there is a sense of despair i think people when you lose the sight of of 
of God, when you lose the image of God in you, what do you believe in? What is it that these people believe in? What is it they want us to believe in? Or they just can't believe in anything. Or is or have we come to the point of self-loathing? All right, let's continue. The whole mood of the dying culture is gray. Acadia is its best uh, besetting sin, manifest in spiritual inaction and in ceaseless work for work's sake or work for low aims. There is no mirth in its humor. Flippancy is its note. The laughter of the bored, the super sophisticated, the worldling, the weary. Children do not fill the streets with their cheerfully games and laughter. Churches are empty. The society, the society's basic institutions, institutions are weak. The family, especially social trust, is is gone. Tradition, tradition, which is a form of social trust, the compact between the generations is traduced or forgotten. Nothing is sacred. The poet Dante shrewdly identifies the character of hell as a loss of hope. That, that theological virtue that trusts in the, in the promises of God. The dying culture may use the word hope, but no one believes it as their failure, even to replace themselves with children, most dreadfully shows nothing is sacred. Optimism, grinning, and gold-toothed uh, uh, steps in to take the place of hope, holding forth not forgiveness, redemption, and new birth, but a merciless judgment against the past and change. Vague and undirected, some change, any change, as a sick person on a bed tosses and turns for relief that does not come. Why? The impatient and the sickly are secretly afraid of hope, as they are afraid of faith and love. So they are ready to buy whatever the confidence man is peddling. We will be saved by technology or by some newfangled political machinery. Give us leave to feed and, and rut and fill up the empty hours as we please, but take away all liberty that makes demands upon us the true liberty of a human soul struggling in grace to draw near to God. Who can breathe life into such thing that it may become a living soul? God alone can, but the people prefer to believe the lie that nothing is sacred rather than take up their hearty duties and gifts of life. May God breathe life into us, whether we like it or not. All right. Uh, this is this article was by Anthony uh, Esselin. Anthony Esselin, contributing editor at Crisis, is a professor and writer in residence at Magdalen College of the Liberal Arts. He is the author of the most recently uh, of Sex and the Unreal City, Ignatius Press, twenty twenty. Um, this was, huh, this was very interesting. I think you see here people, uh, responding, um, uh, well, I'm not going to read it, but this, this definitely, uh, was very, it says it all about us. It says it all was happening to our culture. And, you know, 
tradition is is the values of people's past and is the trust, but it's a the values of people's past and uh, a you know a, a cemented uh, way of life. And it's true. I mean. <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, do you look at modern art? I've seen, I've, I've seen modern art. I and uh, I work at a at a museum, an institution in New York, and it's. I'll tell you, modern art. You, you look at some of them, and some like people like uh, Pollock. Uh, Pollock's work, where it's just splash of paint here and there. Some people like it, but the man himself, his art was a reflection of him. Now, some people say he was a genius. Uh, some people like it. I think most art, art, modern art is really a despair. Um, you could have a canvas where basically colors have been splashed, no shape, no form. They think, I guess, they, they want to believe that they've uh, gone above um, representation. No figures, no nothing. And a lot of times, even when they do paint something, a lot of it is ugly. A lot of it is not the best of humanity. It isn't. I don't think it is. I think a lot of it just simply is a loss of hope. Much of it came after World War II because of the Holocaust and because the horror of war and because nuclear war. So a lot of them have gone into a sense of um, hopelessness, um, a sense that they, they, they loss of, a loss of faith. Some of them want to believe, but a lot of it has been happening long before that. I don't, I'm like, I'm, I, I'm in disagreement. They say, they say that because of what they, the images that they saw in World War II. And, you know, I mean, you know, you get the New York Times, which, lo you know, which loves to publish any new exhibit that comes, that comes in. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. No, I think much of it is all part of the process of, of producing a, 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 a culture that loses all sense of, of self-worth and self-being. You you say, you know, you like he said, independence but not the not the right to live, not a joy to live, but you they keep producing every generation. People let's say of the 1960s wanted to respond back to what the what their um what happened in World War II or what uh the greatest generation. Um they call that uh other generation um the baby boomer generation. Uh, that they wanted to lose, they wanted to rebel against against uh, you know what they felt was constraints. Okay, but then you get a generation afterward that is even more depressed and more rebelled: divorce, remarriage, no marriage. Um, uh, you you have uh, people with a crisis of the, a crisis of their sexuality, crisis of family, crisis of values. Uh, cocaine use, uh, alcohol use, uh, kids growing up at home with you know with one one single parent, and then a, a more angry generation grows. 
it's 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 a problem and you know it's reflected it's reflected in the way people live their lives it reflects in how they how they write how you know the artwork they produce the the culture uh the the way they live their lives their relationships a dissatisfaction a constant a constant uh you know unhappiness unhappiness it just keeps sinking in every single generation and i've seen that with people they they go we went from valuing the body like he says to graffiti on the body to piercing the body i mean there are people who actually have slit their tongues to look like snakes i don't know if you've seen them there are people <clears throat> people walking around with gigantic earlobes uh you know it's it just it just keeps getting worse that is is that really self-worth they call it body art is it really body art is it really body art or is it something you know uh, is it something more is it is it now uh, an anger an attack is it really or is, is it really uh self-mutilation what's the difference seriously what is the difference and and the idea i mean did you see some of these drag queen story times did you see what what they're the what they're bringing in in front of these kids what they're exposing these kids to it's unbelievable all right so let's go to another article all right now we go to a life site news article an opinion piece by tony perkins and it's Obama ridicules Hispanic Christians, dismays Democrats trying to win them back. Barack, Barack Obama has never been able to control his disdain for Bible-believing Americans. Now Hispanics have come under the umbrella of his anti-religious scorn. Oh, boy. I love this kind of stuff. I love it when 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 someone like uh an elitist like him and yes, he was president of the United States, but he is he you know, I love it when they can't hold back, when they can't hold back who they really are. I want it, I want them to show who they really are. And that's the thing. <clears throat> I think that bothers them, elitists like him who try to hold back, try to put on a different picture, especially when he used to go up and say scripture, you know, scripture, like, you know, and he would quote a passage from um, the Bible, which I'm quite certain he probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to know where it is, or he would quote a passage from the Quran or something or whatever. I mean, uh, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's amazing. <clears throat> anyway, but the thing is, they can't really... Um, they can't compete to Trump's, you know, being who he is. I mean, I'm quite certain that he, I mean, he says he read the Bible. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the fact that he probably knows some passages. After all, he carried, you know, he says he has his mom's Bible. So, you know, we'll give, I'll give him a shot. I'm, you know, if that's true, but I never heard him quote it, you know, um, I mean, throughout the years when he was, in the apprentice or uh you know or uh had other shows or anything like that but you know i'll give him i'll give him credit 
at least in one in 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 one way he at least uh has really um he's definitely worked his way into proving he could be president he is president of the United States and I and I'll give Trump that credit Obama on the other hand he was always difficult to read but now uh, through the years I have to say He's he's definitely shown himself who he is after he's left the White House than before. He's put on a good face, though. I'll put it, I'll give it to him that. De December first, twenty twenty, Family Research Council. Barack Obama may have written a book called A Promised Land, but if his latest comments are any indication, he won't be leading the Democratic Party there anytime soon. In trying to explain how Donald Trump could have captured such a big slice of the Hispanic vote, the former president managed to re re uh, reaffirm to everyone why, there's, why they're leaving the party in the first place. As most white evangelicals know, Barack Obama has never been able to control his disdain for Bible-believing Americans. And some people would argue he's never tried. That came back to haunt the 44th president last week when in a radio interview, he took a huge swipe at Hispanic Christians saying they didn't care as much about Donald Trump's prejudice as they did his social positions. People were surprised about a lot of Hispanic folks who voted for Trump, but there are a lot of evangelical Hispanics who the fact that Trump says racist things about Mexicans or puts detainees, undocumented workers in cages. He did that, not, not Trump. They think that that's, that's less important than the fact that he supports their view on gay marriage or abortion. The remarks went over like a lead balloon, even in his own party, where the staunchest, the staunchest of liberals seemed shocked that Obama would take a cheap shot at a voting block they want to win back. That job just got a lot tougher. Some columnists argue that all of, all, all of Barack has done, uh, uh, you know, columnists argue all that Barack has, has, has done, Eugene Scott fumed, is, a, is fuel the growing criticism of the Democratic Party, which is that they don't understand the Latino vote. Scott talked about the interviews that the Post had done with Latino believers in Florida who affirmed that Donald Trump's policy values were what ma mattered. When I think about politics overall, I'm always looking at things th through my religious upbringing. Uh, some, some uh, Tito Vasquez has said, and when I compare Trump to Biden, Trump is just closer to what I believe. Obama's insult only solidifies those misgivings about Democrats at a time when they can't, when they when they can least afford them, and the reaction proves it. Samuel Rodriguez, who heads up the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, has always been a fan of Trump's predecessors. But this, he agrees, is a step too far. In a statement that represented a lot of voters, um, that represented a lot of voter feelings, he fired back. 
I'll tell you what I'm not thinking. Uh, thankful for this Thanksgiving, the ever-escalating close-mindedness of the Democratic Party. President Obama, who I admire, is apparently angry because Hispanic Americans have minds of their own. As I have said at every opportunity, we are not and will not be beholden to the elephant or the donkey. A much more useful exercise for President Trump, uh, I'm sorry, President Obama, a much more useful exercise for President Obama would have been to lead the Democratic Party to some humble self-reflection rather than the rather than further down the fundamentalist path of the leftist politics of exclusion. Bigotry is still bigotry, even if it comes from President Obama. <laughs> Very good. On the Republican side, leaders like Senator Josh Howley, um, Republican from Missouri, I guess, Minnesota, I guess is Missouri, pointed out that this isn't such a departure for Obama, who made attacking Christians a cottage industry during the two White House terms. Ah, yes, those Hispanic evangelicals so backwards, clinging to their guns and religion, you might say. He tweeted, Barack Obama is still the most condescending corporate liberal Ameri uh, uh, in America. Others like Congress Congressman Chip Roy of Texas also took the opportunity to point out whose administration is responsible for those cages. Hey, Barack Obama, take a pause from the race baiting and pandering that built your career and, divide and, and divided a nation. Reflect on this. You built the chain link facility you call cages. Hashtag you built that. In the same interview, Obama didn't just trash Hispanic voters, but more likely subtly African-Americans too. And while it isn't getting nearly the, the media traction that the other comment is, it's worth pointing out that Donald Trump also managed to connect with a good number of black Christians over the social issues. With the same elitist condescension, Obama says at the 37-minute mark, sometimes we don't have a good enough sense of how big this country is and how a lot of folks don't do not accept at all, uh, at all, things that we we who are living in urban metropolitan area just like just take for granted. There are big chunks of the country in our own co uh, communities, right? So I deeply believe that people shouldn't be treated equally under the law, regardless of sexual orientation. I'm a little having a hard time figuring out what the heck I just read here. <laughs> Sometimes we don't have a good enough sense of how big this country is and how a lot of folks do not accept at all things that we who are living in urban okay in urban metropolitan area just take for granted there are big chunks of the country even in our own communities right so i deeply believe that people who should people should be treated equally under the law regardless of sexual orientation interesting all right I almost thought it was almost the opposite he said here. But I'm okay. Remember, African Americans turned out in huge numbers in 2004 to support the state marriage amendment. So these biblical values on avenue to reaching out not only Hispanic voters, but as Obama inadvertently explained, other demographics too. <clears throat> All right. 
in this if this election has proven anything it's that conservatives should never surrender these communities in the in, to the democratic party they should fight for them by emphasizing the stark contrast in the two sides world, world views for years we've argued that pro life pro family policies are the the best bridge uh, bridges republicans can build to the Hispanic and the African Americans. Now, thanks to Donald Trump, we've seen just how true that is. Even though the media spent four years calling him anti-Hispanic, this president cut through that noise. He his solid economic policies combined with his unapologetic social stances attracted them. And unless Democrats can find a way to turn their religious hostility down a, a notch. These Republicans, con, uh, converts, should be here to stay. All right. I know I botched up probably uh, a paragraph here and there. I lost probably lost sight. But uh, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. I'm sorry. Barack Obama is Barack Obama. Barack Obama pretended to be uh, a churchgoer. Remember those years when he went to that... Um, that church in Chicago with Jeremiah, whatever his name is, that guy who really was very hostile towards America, who even cursed America, not God bless America, God damn America, things like that. It's a, it's, it's obvious. He tried, he pretended, he put on a face, a face that really wasn't him. He was never a churchgoer. He never went to church as a kid. <clears throat> if he did, it wasn't something important. He came, he, his grandparents were socialists. His mom had socialists. I mean, she, he had a hippie mom uh, who <clears throat> had a thing of getting married to Muslim guys in, in Africa and Indonesia. And, uh, you know, she had a thing about the outside world and I don't know what, what, you know, what she believed in, but she was, you know, she was definitely a very, a liberal person, a hippie kind of. And, his views, he never really connected with African-Americans. I mean, in a sense, his, he come, his ancestry comes from Kenya. All right? He's, he's African-American, but he's, what the truth is, he doesn't come from, he's not a descendant of slaves. African-American means those who trace their origin back to the slave ships that came here and their ancestors were brought here. All right? He, you know, his father was, a, had Marxist views that never got, and he even himself, he doesn't live up to his father's ideology. He's a rich man now. He has houses in different states. He's a, he's filthy rich. He's going to make money from this new 700 page book. I, he doesn't understand values. He doesn't understand religious values. He is, his views are elitist. He's an elitist man, period. Barack Obama is an elitist man. No one, he doesn't relate with people because that's the kind of person he is. And he made his, his wealth through politics. All right. He's going to do just fine. All right. He's going to be just fine. He's still got many years to go and he'll write more books and, and he'll, you know, he doesn't want to lose anything. Okay, he he made his money. He he's rich. He has no more to get involved in politics. All right, the only thing he has to face is boredom. Simple as that. 
All right. So we go from Barack Obama to his vice president, former vice president, Joe Biden. <clears throat> uh, this is from Life News, not Life Site News, LifeNews.com. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's by Micaia Bilger, <clears throat> December 4th, 2020. Catholic Archbishop Joe Biden should not receive communion. He, su- he, he, uh, he supports great evil of abortion. Okay. Now, this is going to be very interesting. Uh, this is by Micaia Bilger, December 4th, 2020. Addressing a controversy among Catholic bishops about Joe Biden, Archbishop Charles Chaput said, the presumed presidential winner, haha, I love that, presumed presidential winner should not receive Holy Communion because he supports the great evil of abortion. In a column at First Things on Friday, Chaput said, Shepud, or I believe it's Chepute, but said bishops who do give communion to Biden are doing a serious disservice to believers. Biden has touted himself as a devout Catholic who cares about the most vulnerable in society. However, the Democrat also hypocritically champions positions that contradict the teachings of his faith and jeopardizes the lives and freedoms of millions of Americans, the worst being his plan to expand the killing of unborn babies in abortion and force taxpayers to fund their death. This has renewed the debate among American Catholic leaders about whether to give communion to pro-abortion Catholic politicians. Chepute, the Archbishop Emeritus of Philadelphia, is against giving communion to those who refused to repent, according to the Catholic News Agency. All right. By his actions during the course of his public life, Mr. Biden has demonstrated that he is not in full communion with the Catholic Church. Chaput wrote, he criticizes, he criticizes Biden for supporting abortion, a grave moral evil that has resulted in the destruction of millions of innocent lives. Mr. Biden has said that he will continue to advance those same policies as president and thus should not receive Holy Communion. He stated intention uh, intention requires a strong and consistent response from from church leaders and faithful and faithful, Chaput wrote. When bishops publicly announced their willingness to give communion to Mr. Biden without clearly teaching the, gra- the gravity of his fa- uh, facilitating the evils of abortion, they do serious disservice to their brothers and uh, brother bishops and their people, he continued. Chaput pointed out in 2004 letter from the Vatican's Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith about the matter of the sacraments and Catholic positions who support abortion. He said, the document urges priests to instruct the politician about church, church teaching and warn them that they will be denied communion if they continue uh, uh, to, they will continue denied, to be denied communion if they continue to sin with abstinent persistence. To my knowledge, 
That statement remains in effect, Chaput wrote. The implications for the president The implications for the present moment are clear. Public figures who identify as Catholics give scandal to the faithful when receiving communion by creating the impression that moral laws of the church are optional. However, the archbishop also said he does not think that publicly denying communion to a politician is always wise. Doing so in a loud and forceful manner, they must, they may cause more harm than good by inviting the officials to bask in the, the media glow of victimhood, he wrote. He said, the matter is one of faith, not political, and bishops have a unique responsibility before the Lord for the integrity of the sacraments, as well as pastoral concerns for a man's salvation. Some Catholic leaders, however, disagree. Last month, Cardinal Wilton D. Gregory of Washington, D.C. said he will not refuse to give communion to Biden despite his pro-life abortion stance. Gregory said it is normal for Catholics to have disagreements. They are part of being family, a family of faith. The difficulty is to many people who want to throw out of the family of faith, people with whom they have disagreements. He sounds like he sounds like Pope Francis. Biden and his vice presidential running mate, Kamala Harris, want to expand the killing of unborn babies in abortion and force taxpayers to pay for them. They also oppose religious freedom, protections for Catholics, charities, and other employers. And Harris has been accused of, of, uh, of anti-Catholic bigotry. She also prosecuted uh, pro-life undercover journalists who exposed Planned Parenthood's aborted baby body parts trade. If Biden takes off and does what he promised, abortion could increase across America. Not only does Biden plan to codify Roe versus Wade into federal law in in the case that the um, in case the U.S. Supreme Court overturns it, he also wants to end the Hyde Amendment and force taxpayers to pay for elective abortions. More than 800,000 unborn babies were aborted every year in America, and about 62 million have been aborted since 1937 when the Supreme Court forced states to legalize abortion on demand. Without the Hyde Amendments, Hyde Amendment, researchers at the Charlotte Lazier Institute predict 60,000 more unborn babies have been killed in abortion each year. In April, Biden went so far as to call the killing of unborn babies an essential medical service. And during the coronavirus pandemic, his health care plan would expand abortion as well as being as by forcing insurance companies to cover abortion as an, as an essential health care under Obamacare. He also promised to undo all of Trump's progress for life, including restoring funding for the billionaire, uh, I'm sorry, billion-dollar abortion chain Planned Parenthood. On religious freedom, Biden's position also is deeply troubling. Biden has endorsed anti-religious freedom policies that would force nuns, religious charities, and hospitals to violate their deeply held beliefs by funding um, huh, by funding the killing of unborn babies in abortions in abortions and potentially give even by oof by helping 
to uh, facilitate the, the, their deaths. He also promised to restore an Obama-era mandate that would force the nuns, little sisters of the poor, and other religious employees to fund con contraception, including ty uh, types that may cause abortion in, um, in their employees' health and insurance plans. <sighs> oh, boy. That was a lot there. That was a lot. Unfortunately, it's it's unfortunate. Wow.